Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A Rex. Well, I am a true Renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years. I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of Rex. Hello, my gorgeous humans. It is Marvel A. Rex here on the World of Rex. We are going to be looking at the energies and archetypes present for the week of June 6th to June 12th. Wow. Okay. So for those of you in the astrology community, we've been really feeling this Mercury retrograde. You can see it very deeply and profoundly in the collective. Uh, last week's episode, we talked to Lainey Love Dalvey about some of those events. That was an amazing conversation. Please take a listen if you haven't already. And this week, you know, we've got a different but continuous energy. This week is all about karma. I said it, karma. And there's going to be some big daddy Saturn energy happening this episode because the Lord of Karma is Saturn historically in uh, ancient and modern astrology vedic and western astrology saturn is the lord of karma he is stationing retrograde and you're really gonna feel it this week june 6th to june 12th he actually stationed the week prior but this is when it's really kicking in it takes a little bit of time when planets shift direction essentially when they appear to be going backwards in the sky by our geocentric perspective it really does take often a few days even sometimes up to a week to really start to feel the tone shift but there is certainly a tone shift this week and it has a lot to do with karma i'm going to break down some ideas around this to kind of help us get a little bit of a flavor for the week ahead but essentially when saturn starts moving backwards or appearing to move backwards, we have to look at things we did in the past. So from now, uh, that's June 4th is his exact station, all the way until October 23rd, we have a time this year to really be thinking about projects, relationships, anything really that started in the past that we have to karmically clean up, that we have to work through, that we have to get kind of like our uh, our muscle into and 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 chew on the bone of it and really figure out generally something that has to do with work, labor, time, time spent. And uh, depending on where it falls for you, specifically in your archetypal energies, this could be relationships, this could be a work project, it could be a creative hobby, it could be a trip. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways that this manifests, but the thing I want everyone to focus on is that this is a time period beginning this week, and you're especially going to feel it this week. Things will present themselves this week where you're like, oh, that's karma. <laughs> what goes around comes back around. You're going to really feel that. 
Now, this could be other people's karma entering into your sphere where you're like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm enmeshed with this person's process. That's also another way that this energy can reveal itself. You can, it can sometimes be what you did in the past that you're being confronted with or what somebody in your immediate vicinity did in the past, past that you are also having to process because they're close to you, right? So, you know, karma gets dealt in double doses during this period of time. So it just can feel really intense. And really, really the thing that I want everyone to focus on this week, especially as things manifest and come up and you're like, whoa, okay, is what have I been doing in the past? And I mean, you can get really granular here and really deep in the rabbit hole and try to look at your whole life. You don't necessarily need to look at your whole life. I would say the more efficient timeline to work with is the last two years like what have I been doing the last two years and and what is happening this week slash presenting itself this week slash presenting itself all the way until October that I need to work on that I need to clear out that I need to finish this is often about finishing projects or finishing a relationship cleaning up the karma surrounding something that is unresolved so each of us in our lives have something or sometimes often multiple things that were like, oh, that's not quite resolved. When Saturn, the Lord of Karma, starts moving backwards in the sky or appearing to move backwards, we get opportunities. This is a really the positive way to look at this is that it is an opportunity to finish something, to find a resolution or at least a state of resolution. Not that anything is ever fully resolved, truthfully, but a state of resolution that allows you to feel a little lighter on the other side allows you to feel a little bit more at peace that is always the goal is to feel more at peace through doing the hard work but there is hard work to be done so on that note i said in the last couple episodes wow great time to start new projects great time to like really venture off and you know life is contradictory so all of that is true and also we need to apply the fact that saturn is going to be having us review our relationships, our shared resources, technology, and our communities. Like those are the big things, but it can be a lot of other things. And that review process is also a slow down process. So while we are branching off and trying some new things, there's also a lot of energy that's saying, apply that branching off and trying new things to projects that have already started, to uh, karma that has already been made. So there's a lot of gusto in the sky, I'm specifically for the astrology people talking about the Aries placements, Mars, Jupiter, and Aries. Yes, that's all exciting. That's like gasoline to the fire. It's going to give you a little bit more uh, buoyancy through all the hard work that Saturn's going to ask you to do over the summer, all the way until October. And it really, it's about clearing up karma. So one thing I like to recommend for clients is, you know, Look, do a little audit and be like, what do I have that's unresolved? What is a project that isn't isn't done yet? What is a relationship that isn't really clear right now or hasn't been resolved? Relationship status, let's say. What can I do to start working on that? And it can really start, and I believe this fundamentally, and this is an aspect of Jewish mysticism, it really should actually start internally. This process should not start externally. You know, in AA, they have you call up every single person that you've ever, quote unquote, done wrong, literally to apologize. And that's to clear up the karma. That's a Saturn retrograde, like hallmark, you know, an amazing thing to do do during Saturn retrograde. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a deeper read on that. Instead of first calling people and externalizing the clearing of karma, 
internalize, have an internalized process of the clearing of karma. Begin by imagining that project finished. Begin by imagining yourself after that project has been finished or that relationship has been resolved. Practice like imagining that relationship being solved. Do it on an internal psychic you know, contemplative level and really feel that lightness after you've cleared that karma. Let's say you've done something in the past that you're not super stoked about. We've all, we all do it. We all do things where like, oof, I wasn't in my highest integrity. Well, Saturn return time, uh, Saturn, sorry, Saturn retrograde time comes back and says like, look, you can look at this again. You should. Actually, you should. And, you know, Saturn's not the nicest of the planets. (laughs) Uh, He's pretty cold and dry. So it's not even like a should. It's like you have to. Otherwise, it'll be like 10 times more difficult if it has to manifest on its own. But if you're actually going to take the risk, and this is part of the risk-taking energy and the brave, the bravery that's present in the stars right now, if you take the risk to first begin just facing whatever you need to clear up with yourself first internally and then reaching out to the external world to then understand, okay, how can I make this better out in the physical plane? That's a nice route of action during this period of time, and it's going to free up a lot of psychic space. I talk to my clients a lot about freeing up psychic space because it allows you to be more at peace, more creative, more kind, more inspiring to others, and a better world citizen. So it's so important to clear up psychic space. And so that's really, you know, this is the Lord of Karma. He's coming through, and he sometimes doles it out in a way that is very difficult for people to receive, for our egos to receive. So just expect this week that there is going to be some karmically uh, interlaced situations cropping up that are often to do with something that happened in the past that we are being asked to psychically clear up space for, to really just be present with. This is not the easiest transit, and I'm going to be super real about that. So... You know, this station, especially with Mercury stationing direct right around the same time on the fixed star algal, which I've been talking about, it's Medusa's head. Uh, It is literally about beheading, violence, uh, generally misfortune, um, very intense uh, acerbic events. This is going to be a little crunchy for some of us, especially folks who have any sort of sensitive placements at the final degrees of the fixed signs, which are Leo, Aquarius, Taurus and Scorpio. Now, these folks have already been getting really pressurized this year because we have eclipses. The eclipses are happening in the constellations of Taurus and Scorpio. So if you do have any sensitive placements around this time, this is just going to feel like an extra challenging situation or an amazing opportunity to clear up karma, which can um, you know, potentially reveal itself in an unpleasant way at first. And then later you discover, wow, thank God that I was able to to work through that so that I can be so much lighter on the other end, that I can be so much more free on the other side. So this is a little bit of a chug, chug, chug week, like put your head down, like do the work and definitely not a week to like check out and escape the karma that's coming in or try to like bypass any of this. This is really about like taking personal accountability. So my recommendation, especially Monday when this is like really present is just like, Do the granular work, like accept what's happening. Don't try to throw a fit or fight it. Be really present with what's going on Monday, Tuesday. Say, okay, you know, like you can actually tell yourself, okay, 
this is something that I do have to work on. It's from the past. All right. Okay. I get an opportunity to transform this. What are the ways in which I can transform this? And looking at these situations from a proactive way is going to go a very, very, very long way all the way until October when Saturn starts to move forward. Now, there's an extra emphasis on community building. So I want each and every one of us to think about, are we feeling good in our communities? Are we feeling nourished by our communities? Are we making new community? And this is a big thing coming out of the Capricorn collapse of 2020. Who are your friends on the other side? Are you making new friends? Are you making new contacts? This is also something we're really thinking about. And there could be some karmic closure of relationships from the past because the community is evolving, because the community is shifting for each and every one of us. It's okay. Friendships have cycles. They have waves. And we get really attached as ego beings. We get really, really attached to relationships being a certain way, especially friendships. Friendships are a very interesting territory because we have expectations on our friends that we don't necessarily hold for family members and we don't necessarily hold for lovers. So and friend and Aquarius, which is where Saturn is transiting, rules friendships. So we really need to be thinking about, you know, our friendships in our life, our community, which is just a large group of friends, right? Uh, in a way that has buoyancy, expansiveness, and a willingness to let things flow in their own course, a willingness to let relationships be in their own flow instead of trying to control them or trying to control another person. This is the South Node in Scorpio. It's the thing we're supposed to be letting go this year is trying to control, especially trying to manipulate or have someone else on your timeline. So this is very important to think about. Okay, what relationships are shifting? And just taking note. It's really powerful to just apply consciousness to things and be like, oh, I take note of that. Okay. And then think about it a little deeper if you need to think about it a little deeper. And then if you need to have a conversation with somebody, have the conversation with somebody. Great time to do that. Great time to clear up karma. Especially like, you know, tail end of the week because Mercury is still working his way out of some of the most gnarly territory of late degrees Taurus. So letting Mercury get back into his good flow state, I've been telling a lot of clients that I prefer June 10th onward, which is uh, the 10th is Friday of this week. So Friday onward is a better time to have more intense conversations, but real conversations, karmic clearing conversations, Saturnian karmic clearing conversations of like, hey, I need to say this thing. Like, you know, and not in a not in a violent way. You know, this is part of us really I'm trying to do a really fine dance around the algal energy because the algal energy is extremely violent and very aggressive. And so how do we actually apply gen gentleness and and like the the soothing quality of like really peaceful strength in times that can feel really ramped up right now? How can you be gentle, kind and nonviolent? even during intense situations. That's a big part of, of like the most transformative, to me, exciting and juicy potential in this energy right now. How can we be nonviolent when we when our egos want to assert themselves in violent ways? Like that is that's what Jedi do. You know, that's not what Sith do. That is what Jedi do. That is the force right there. So all of this energy is present, right? Karmic clearing, algal being, you know, uh, a nasty little bad boy. They're all, it's all present right now this week. So, you know, just keep in mind that things are going to still feel very intense around communication, around karma, around relationships, around community. 
and, 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 and we get an opportunity to start to find some freedom by allowing ourselves time, space, slowness, and accepting peace in moments when it feels like peace is one of the last things that our ego wants to do. The Aries energy wants to push forward really hard, really quick, really fast right now. And there's so much other energy happening right now saying, actually, there's some stuff from the past that we got to take care of. And it's super important. And it's not forever. This is another thing I remind my clients. It's not forever. So if we know that, we're in really, really good form this week. If we know that there's stuff that needs to get cleared up and worked on, even if even if the personality doesn't like it, even if our little brain is like, oh, I don't want to do that, this is the week to just take notes. Okay, that's the thing that's going to be playing out all the way till October. I've got some time to work on it. Great, great, great. I'm going to clear up some karma. I'm going to lighten my load. I'm going to feel more free on the other side, but I got to do some hard work right now. This is all about what's, this is what soul evolution is all about. This is what I love. This is what Lainey Love was talking about last week. This is what Edgar's going to get into our guest this week. It's about learning how to love more profoundly, more deeply in this lifetime. And we need that so badly right now as a collective. We need more people who are dedicated, dedicated to loving and dedicated to peace, peace at all costs. And this begins with us this week, you know, as karma rolls in for us to clear out. All right. I have an amazing guest with me today, Edgar Fabian Frias, an amazing human being. We're going to hear from them shortly. And again, take care this week. Take it slow. Take note and fix whatever you got to fix from the past and trust that it'll clear itself in time. I am here with Edgar Fabian Frias. They work in installation, photography, video, art, sound, sculpture, printed textiles, gifts, performance, social practice, community organizing, among other forms. This is multidimensional already. I love it. Frias is Virarica and their family is from Mexico, though they have lived in the United States for most of their life. Their art addresses historical legacies and acts of resistance, resiliency, and radical imagination within the context of indigenous futurism, spirituality, play, pedagogy, animism, and queer aesthetics, weaving together the traditional and ancestral with the contemporaneous and emergent. Born in East LA in 1983, I'm going to try not to give too much away because I want to hear your version, <laughs> Frias received a dual BA degrees in psychology and studio art from UC Riverside. In 2013, they received an MA in clinical mental health counseling at Portland State in Portland with an emphasis on interpersonal neurobiology and somatic psychotherapy. Frias received their MFA in art practice from UC Berkeley in 2022. Congrats. That is this year. Yeah, it was literally like a week ago. <laughs> okay, everybody, we are celebrating Edgar right now. Oh my gosh, what an intro. I just want to say on the top that I am so happy to have you on the podcast. You, I, Your work means so much to me personally, and I'm excited to have folks discover you, learn more about you, and share your story. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. And same, I feel like it's been such a gift to be able to connect beforehand and to get to know each other and to also witness each other's growth as artists and 
to be mutually inspired is such a blessing. And so I'm so grateful to be here and so excited to connect with the folks that listen to this podcast and to share a little bit more about myself too. Yes, yes. And one thing I really love just on the top is, is that, you know, you and I do navigate so many different spaces. There's right. like, there's the fine art space. There's the like, Spe- like spiritual quote unquote new age you know for lack of a better umbrella term space and then there's you know a psychology space there's all these different like academic spaces that we're navigating so right. and like it, entertainment uh, and yeah. social media and the astral realm <laughs> <laughs> let's not forget the astral realm absolutely yes so edgar i'm super interested in hearing a little bit more about your story like your anything you want to share about your origination, where you come from, what feels important for you to share in now in 2022? Yeah, it feels wild just, you know, being so recently graduated from UC Berkeley, and it's been such a dream of mine. I remember going to see your work when you were in the MFA program and just thinking about what it would mean for me to have that time and space to really think about my practice and to really develop as an artist and I think it's been a lifelong dream for me to be a full-time contemporary artist and it feels really uh, magical that this is where I am at this moment in my life. Um, I come from a really small town called Bloomington in Southern California. So I was born in East LA and then my parents and my family and I, we all moved to a small town. And I didn't really see art until I was like around 14 or 15. And it was um, through a middle school teacher who took us on a field trip to LACMA. And since that field trip, I I had like what I kind of call like, you know, one of my first altered state experiences, one of my first experiences of really receiving the intention, the energy that was imbued into artwork and it really transformed me. And I feel like it was one of those moments where I really knew to listen and to move towards, even if I didn't know what it was about. And I've had many moments like that since that first experience. And I feel like it has been through guidance that Mm. has um, led me here. I am so grateful to my queer and trans and gender expansive ancestors, as well as my indigenous Latinx ancestors, other mystical angelic ancestors that have been guiding me my whole life and have been moving me in this direction and kind of bringing me to this place where I'm at in 2022, having just graduated and also having just come back from an amazing performance that I did in Los Angeles at the Mocha Geffen too. So it feels like such a, yeah, (laughs) such a, a moment in time where I'm just so grateful to, as you were saying earlier, before we started recording, you know, that we're, um, you know, historicizing all this, that this is becoming a part of the record that people will be able to connect with in the future and, you know, across time and space. Yes. I'm so curious, Edgar, what was, do you have a, a tangible example of like the first works you saw? I just love this image of you as a young person entering into LA. I can only imagine um, being like 13 or 14 or what, you know, and then being in Los Angeles where you were born, which is you're like returning home in some way. Right. And then you're in LACMA. Do you remember some of the first work that you saw? 
Yeah, I very vividly remember um, some of the works were by Edward Kingholz, who um, is mm-hmm. still at LACMA. I actually just saw, I went to LACMA this on my last trip to Los Angeles, and I saw um, a piece of his called the, I think, The Illegal Operation, which speaks to abortion. Um, and this piece was made in 1970. And um that was one of the pieces I saw as well as um, another uh, Dodge piece that he has where it's like a car and there's two people in there and there's like beer bottles kind of strewn around and you're not really sure if you're witnessing a moment of intimacy or a violence. And so mm. it's also really um, nebulous, but also somewhat sinister. And th- that was one of the work I saw. And I also saw some pieces by Andy Warhol, including his Kellogg's pieces, um, the boxes that, that are at LACMA. So those were like the, the works I vividly remember, but I think it was that uh, Dodge piece um, I, I feel like I might be butchering the name, but it's like Dodge 1964 or something like that. It was that piece that really kind of took me to that place where mm. I was so confused. And I think that's why as an artist, I love working with confusion because I think it is such a powerful conduit. It's a, a, a way to open up awareness or to shift and transform awareness Yes. You know, it makes me think immediately. I love that you brought up confusion or, and also maybe I'll, I'll say it a different way. Confusion slash um, a multi, like a multiplicity of, right. of an event or like a, you know, someplace that, that, that line or when, you know, some of the, the performances I've seen from like Oscar, Dave, Oscar, Oscar, David Alvarez that are like, they're like simultaneously like tender and violent and you're like what is happening right that distinction that you just brought up is so powerful because i think it does help it it, that confusion or third space as i like to call it is like there's there's magic possible there because your your brain has to make room for something new Mm. or and and it helps maybe maybe this is part of the medicine of uh, to heal the polarization of being like that's bad or that's good the polarization in our society right now that's like this is bad or this is good what does it mean when something's happening simultaneously or or as many things at once yeah no and I feel like I've definitely felt that witnessing some of your own performance work too um, <laughs> especially maybe some of the collaborations I've seen you do with folks um yes. definitely having that moment where you have to suspend judgment or suspend mm. um trying to concretize something or regiment something and be open to possibility. And I, I do feel like so much of our society really pushes us to uh, really understand and to make sense, you know, like almost like immediately. And I think uh, there is so much discomfort that comes up with when you don't have that. And that's something I've definitely run into as someone who's now been teaching art, um, mm. especially teaching art with people who don't have either an art background or don't find art that interesting, is there is so much uh, resistance to sitting with the unknown or to not knowing if something is right or wrong, as you were saying, or not knowing if something um, is good or bad, right? That there there is like an in-between space that I think so much of our society is set up to like, just like, ignore or like get rid of as quickly as possible yes and as queer identified folks we exist in those liminal spaces i think fundamentally i i was just talking this this past weekend at a conference about the queer art of failure 
uh, which is a book, but also and an idea put forth by Jack Halberstam, but is, and I'm sure many other people, it's not just Jack, but yeah. the queer art of failure and like how failure can be like a, a liberatory experience, right? So these are, you know, this is part of it is like yeah. doing something that someone's like, ooh, that was bad, quote unquote. And you're like, actually, no, I, I discovered something really amazing within this process. Um, I'm super curious about since you just, I know that it was, you just graduated from UC Berkeley with your MFA. And also, I believe it was just your birthday, correct? Yeah, it was my birthday yesterday, actually. <laughs> oh, happy birthday. I know. I love Thank having you. it line up with the podcast. That's part of my magic here. Yes. Um, I'm always like, okay, who's, who's symbolizing the moment of now? You are, <laughs> you are archetypally. Uh, so happy birthday. Congratulations. All the congrats. And my question is, what work were you making? Well, like what? Yeah, I want to know more about what what is really pulling you right now. What is mm. what is the what are the questions you are chasing? Kathy Opie said something to me years ago that really stuck, which was just follow your questions, follow right. them. Right. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, in the last couple of years, have research around different themes and I feel like maybe some of the things we've touched upon connect with some of this um, for my MFA um, like thesis project I created an installation that was inspired by a very personal experience um, that has happened to me in the last couple of years um, my immediate family has what I am naming like fallen into like a QAnon algorithm you know okay. and as a result like has really shifted in their political spiritual relational values and I you know for some time in the program it felt really stuck and was just really upset and then there was a moment where I really decided to lean into my art practice and my spiritual practice and to really start to do research around my indigenous ancestry and to connect with certain elements from the um, ceremonial aspects and also spiritual aspects as a way to start to imagine something different. And so what I ended up creating for the um, exhibition was a healing center of the future that's being run by queer and trans uh, indigenous folks and you don't really get to see the healing center um, I'm imagining it as a possibility mm -hmm. uh, and what I actually installed was the waiting room of this space and so you don't really get access to it you more kind of see it as an idea as also something that you have to be patient for even mm -hmm. if it is frustrating and yes. I do feel like that waiting um for me has become something that I've been really thinking a lot about, especially as, you know, you know, with what's happening in this moment with, you know, the constant calls for gun control and, you know, something, yes. anything to be done to try to mitigate, ameliorate um, the horrific violence that happens in this country. And, you know, just feeling like we're going to, again, be waiting and waiting and then, you know, seeing rights of folks being taken away and, yeah. again, feeling like we're kind of um, hoping that, yeah, there will be some end to this, like, nightmare that we've been living in. And, you know, I think there is still some waiting that is going to happen. But it, I think 
you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, that there is something in that liminal space, something Mm. in that space of potentiality, of maybe frustration, of stagnation, something that's there that I feel like I'm kind of trying to lean into in a sense. Yeah. And and interestingly, just to give you my sort of uh, structural perspective of it, which is shared by a lot of the Western astrology community, is the U.S. Pluto return. Have you heard about the U.S. Pluto return? I've definitely seen a lot of folks posting about about it it and talking about it and like, yes, and have gotten little snippets, but I would love to hear what you have to say about it. Well, it, it you kind of led really well into it because the U.S. Pluto return is this idea that, well, it's, it's an actual thing where Pluto is moving the planet, which is very, very far out. Obviously, as we know, it's one of the farthest planets out. It's actually got demoted to a planetoid, which is also drama. We're not going right. to go there, but very drama. <laughs> totally. There's some astrologers that believe that like that really pissed Pluto off actually anyway Mm. deeper deeper yeah spiritually like really pissed Pluto off but anyway Pluto is now returning to the point in the sky where it was when the U.S. was like quote-unquote colonized in 1776 right or quote-unquote founded is what I meant to say but slash colonized um in 1776 when Pluto returns and like I'll give an example the UK London like Spain, France, these countries have had multiple Pluto returns. It takes 283 years for Pluto to to move back into its position when a country was first started. It's considered like an immensely painful rite of passage that involves transformation through righting quote unquote wrongs. Mm. So basically the idea a lot of astrologers are like, okay, this is reparations. This is like giving indigenous people land back. This is like literally taking accountability for the mass murder of brown and black bodies, uh, slavery. That is the process that we are, we started in 2022 this year, and we really won't see the full like process finished until like 2028 2029 so you're absolutely right from my, from our perspective of the pluto return we're so deep in like a transformative gunk liminal space mm, right right so yeah. that's a big and part i think of- and, and i think that like i see the misinformation campaigns as part of that gunk right as part of the like trying to slow down things from like moving quote unquote too quickly <laughs> yes and and it's interesting because pluto like the process is transformation it's redemption even so like mm. during a pluto return there's supposed to be like you you say it's i don't want to use a catholic uh analogy which is like you tell your sins to the priest i want to say more like you come forward and you say, I'm ready to put this aside. I'm ready to stop genocide. I'm ready to stop like racial injustice. A country like collectively coming and saying, we're ready to change. That's the key word of Pluto mm-hmm. is we're ready to change. And what we're seeing with these misinformation campaigns and a lot of these, um, you know, Roe v. Wade, the school shootings, all of these things are super Pluto. Pluto, when mm. in the shadow side, when Pluto, right. when you're resisting change, it's that fear. Oh, let's let's try to grab whatever we can to slow this process down. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think um, as artists, as visionaries, I think we're all um, we've been attuned to this. We've been feeling these shifts, and we've been also speaking about these things and. Um, I do feel like um, it's only it's only going to get 
you know, it's almost like I feel like I think about like the healing process or like, you know, I've worked a lot in treatment and like thinking about like relapse as being this uh, potentiality or this space of um, that sometimes like people need to arrive to in a way or that like, and I think about our country, like how we see these cycles of violence and exploitation and um there seems to be like an amnesia that gets like woven into this and it does like make you kind of ask that question of like what will break through the amnesia or the misinformation what will open up hearts you know or what will um open up eyes too because I do and I think that's something that I've just been struggling with, you know, hearing my own family start to like parrot some of these things that I find horrendous. Like, like, um, you know, I have family members that believe that Black Lives Matter isn't real, that like Black people are not being killed and that it's just made up. And, and I'm like, wow, like you, you literally can live in a reality that is denying like the, the, you know, the, livelihood of a human being you know or even yeah. like denying the death and the grief that is actually really present with us yeah yeah and i do think that i hear you and i hear the pain of that and i have uh family members and close relatives who also are denying a lot of things um right. and think that all all the main news sources are fake um and it's it's tough i think it's really really challenging and i think part of it too that i i, I am definitely like an, an extremely optimistic person not to say that i have rose-colored glasses but to say that i i do believe in like the evolution of our species but i do think that the evolution of our species in terms of heart opening and eye opening is so it's so dimensional and so contradictory in some ways and it's cyclical so there's these mm. moments where we feel like we're going backwards and i don't believe it's like cyclical like a, a circle i do believe it's like a spiral spiralical or whatever right, you want right? right like i know that we're moving in a trajectory and i i believe it's a positive trajectory but in that process it can feel especially at this moment as we've had so many it, uh, very challenging, violent acts happen. It, it can feel impossible, definitely sometimes. But it's interesting because I think you know you said earlier as performance artists and as artists, and even and and you and I both I think identify as like we're spiritual artists. Like that is very much part of my, like my spirit, el duende. Like it's so much part of my practice. It's right. so much part of my practice. Right. And I, we've been seeing the writing on the walls for a while um, and, and, and toying with that liminal space that I think does have the answers um, it, or at least can spark more conversation and open people up. I think one thing I've been thinking about is when you have family members who are like, no, none of this is real. What I think part of the response that they're or the reaction that they're having is that like people are people on, let's say, quote unquote, the left are saying you're stupid you don't know what's up you're you know you're an idiot conservative this is right there's both sides are like you're wrong okay. and what i'm interested in is like you know my partner will come home sometimes and she'll be like these people are like idiotic like this is so like she'll read the news and be like how can marjorie taylor green say this like this is crazy and it's like yes i hear you and also i'm my first thought as an aquarius is like how do i how do I have a conversation with them where I'm 
like with a quote unquote, a Marjorie Taylor Greene type, how do I have a conversation with them where we, I feel like I'm really meeting them because if I'm really meeting them in some place, then they are being queered. They are being changed by a conversation. But if I'm trying to shut it down or say that I'm right and they're wrong, we're not going to get anywhere. So it's like, how it's like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's so cheesy, but it's like, how do you literally beam love at people and transform them that way? And still say what, how you feel. I mean, these are all just big existential questions, but. Yeah. And I think that's like part of, for myself as an artist, like I didn't want to imagine the healing center that I was creating just because that is where the work is. That is where those transformations, because the healing center I made is for, you know, kind of as maybe in 2028, like what you were saying earlier, this moment where I do feel like people I'm hoping and, you know, because I also am hoping that there will be like a redemption or there will be a moment where people will understand um, how they've been manipulated and used in certain political, economical games. And I want to believe that there will be places for these people to be caught and to be supported mm, and, and held. to be and held. Mm. Um, because it is so intense to let go of um, the foundation that you have. You know, speaking of foundation, like there are so many things about this country that rely on. Um, manipulation and obfuscation and uh you know a twisting of information and so to have that taken away from you is so destabilizing and i think as queer and trans people we like maybe had to deal with that when we were like seven or 12 you know and so we have some sort of like um understanding and an awareness of this and we've had to maybe recreate ourselves or recreate reality many times over but I know that for a lot of folks, they don't have that um, privileged or oppression, however you want to see it. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have that moment in their lives. And so if they're having it at 40, that's going to be so intense for them. You know, that is such a good point that I love the way you articulated that because I say this to a few people and I'm now going to say it to the entire podcast community here, but I sometimes say like, I dodged a bullet not being raised like a cis white man. Like I really feel that way fundamentally, Mm. not to, not to like bag that community of people at all. I just Mm. know that for me, and it's not about the identification either. It's just that I have two brothers who have also had very nuanced lives and they've, and a lot of them have, and both of them have had to like figure themselves out in new, in, in nuanced ways. Sure. But I didn't get the option to like coast. I didn't, I never got the option to coast in terms of my identity. And, and I think that what you just spoke to where you're like, is it a privilege or an oppression? Like I look at it as a gift. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes. And I'm also at a, in a point of strength where I can say that. And that means I've, also had a lot of support from my community to get to this point of strength. I recognize that. And also I'm like, this is a gift that I was able to like reinvent myself. Like you said, over and over again and be like, I have to like out of necessity, I have to figure out where I fit here because I don't just, I don't just plop into the machine. Right. Right. Yeah. I've definitely called it myself like queer privilege or queer and trans privilege before. It's like one of the few privileges that we have is that we, we had to do that at such a young age that it does allow, and I've seen it so much within queer and trans community, like this, like 
super exciting ingenuity and transformation and willingness. And I think, for example, like I learned about witchcraft first in the queer and trans community and like to, you know, practice witchcraft, you know, when I first found out about it, it was still like at that time, not hip. It wasn't like seen as like cool. It was still heretic and like, but I feel like, you know, queer and trans folks have not um, have because of our, you know, gifts, like we've, uh, really um, been able to kind of reconsider so many parts of our identities of our lives things that we take quote-unquote for granted that we are maybe forced to just like kind of consume or see as real like we've yeah and I think that that's like what's also you know makes queer and trans people be at the forefront of culture because we are having to recreate reconfigure re you know remix and re-understand and also we are a part of such a vast lineage of innovators and folks who are liminal beings who have had that ability to see beyond the veils see beyond what's in the present space and so not only do we have that privilege we're also deeply connected to a huge community of ancestors who've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years so we're a part of also like a sacred um lineage of people (laughs) too you know I appreciate that perspective. Like, I I love the way that you're conceiving of it because I'm like, yes. I just finished a Discovery Plus television show called Book of Queer that's coming out like next week, I think. Um, very exciting. But the yeah. book of the book of queer does it. I'll I'll send it to you. But it it oh does it goes into the lineage and the legacy. Mm-hmm. And I actually play in this in this TV series. I play a trans man from the twenties, a real person named Harry Allen who existed in Portland, Oregon in the twenties and was like a hustler and like did some like, you know, so it's speaking of like uh, towing the line, like he was a questionable anti-hero. Like he did some things to survive as, as a person that was not, was not like accepting being assigned female at birth in the twenties. So and and I just want to share that like that connecting to him because you know when you're acting I mean for me and I think for you as well it's like you know that we're a, we become like a shamanic vessel we become a right. vessel and right. so when I went into his space and went into his reality that I was sort of crafting what the twenties would have been like for him it was dark it was hard it was crunchy like it felt really deep and also I felt his resilience too mm. and I was like he was kicking ass and like beating other he was beating men up in bars like <laughs> like wow. it's um i mean <laughs> that's wild it's a wild it's amazing um so anyway that i love your sort of the way that you're expressing that because i just embodied that in a way and and it is a, it is a blessing to feel connected to a larger swath of people who i also think are keep i think one thing about queerness that is so powerful is that we're are our chameleon or our creative identification building is keeping up with the pace of technology. Mm. And I think that that's part of what is also really challenging for people who are not necessarily keeping up with the pace of technology or, you know, especially societally, there's just a fear of like, I think of Bible thumpers. I think of people who are like, why are all these Brown and queer people taking over culture, taking over media, Black Lives Matter, like they're really freaked out because they're not necessarily even moving at the pace in which the internet is pushing our species. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, 
queer and trans people because we and also like visionaries in general like you get a sense of something coming and or that things are changing and and I think there is a way that we start to maybe adopt or play with certain technologies or, or ideas that yeah maybe are are seen as like um yeah, scary or dangerous. Um, I have a question for you. I think, you know, one thing when you sharing about your um, acting experience, I'd love to hear if you have any way that you come back to yourself or like, because um, I know that, you know, I know for myself and I'm sure some folks listening, like it can be sometimes really easy or even unintentional to like slip into another person's awareness, you know, or like have like, uh, I've definitely had it where I've had like ancestors try to like work things through me and I've had to like have that conversation with them. So I'd love to hear from you, like how you come back to yourself, how you maybe like, yeah, create that like delineation between yourself and another person that you're channeling. Wow. What a, what an amazing question. I'm, I'm like, my tail is wagging. My proverbial <laughs> t- Speaking of me morphing into something else, I'm already like a dog over here wagging my yeah. tail. I, so one of my teachers, um, his name is Achuta Baba Das. He's amazing. He uh, has a really prolific YouTube channel, mostly an astrologer, but also a yogi. He talks about like the idea of daemons and daemons like grabbing you, mm-hmm. right? So you said like, oh, my ancestors would like take me and like I was working through something that was theirs. Right. I have, I have, fully personally experienced that as well with with specifically with like my lineage especially on my maternal side who were witches who were witches like during Mm -hmm. the spanish inquisition yeah oh yeah so i've i've experienced that very personally now as and and that actually is harder for me than the acting part the acting part and the and actually like you've seen some of my performances and it's funny because to me in general, the acting world and the entertainment industry is a little bit more like light, L-I-T-E, in terms of how deep I'm going. Because right. in my live performance work prior to 2020, like there were moments where I was like, it took me weeks to like get out of that space. Because, you know, especially Oscar and I, we went in really, really deep to like the violence of masculinity right. uh, to the point where like speaking of, although it's really unfortunately timely, like Oscar and I went to the LAX gun shooting range to shoot the AR-15 specifically to like have a somatic experience of that level of violence. And it was, I really, really disliked that experience, but it also haunted me for a long time. And, and it's that level of like how shamanic folks or how folks who are like who revel in that liminality, how, how close to the edge you can go and how, and how that edge is dangerous sometimes um and so for acting it feels a lot safer in some ways however i will be really real with you i read for a character at the beginning of the year who was a trans masculine character and i'm not joking edgar i had a few moments where i looked in the mirror during that week where i was memorizing the lines and i did not i i saw someone else I, I I did. I saw someone else and I was like, oof. And I felt him and I was having responses that were not me. They were the character's responses mm. in my real life. So that's not totally answering your question, but what I will say that I have started to do, but I, I, I well, I consistently do, but I do it more intentionally now is I surf and there's a Jewish, I, there's a Jewish like practice around what's called a mikvah, which is like a sacred bath. And 
it has to be live water. So there has to be an element of like natural, quote unquote, natural water, mm-hmm. not like chlor, not like a pool, like a pool is not right. going to do it. Right. And so I will go to the Pacific Ocean and I will very much be like, uh, like I'm letting you go and I will let the water, the water. I mean, you know how hard she is. She comes in with those waves. Like right. I will, I will, I will let myself get like literally slammed so that it's like out the characters out. But I go in now with a lot more like direct conscious intention to be like, we're letting this character go. So that's what I do. That's like very visceral and the level of physicality that I need. And then I would say for folks like applying consciousness to it, you said earlier, like you just tell your ancestors, like, I have to have a talk with you. Like, this is not for me. Um, And then the other thing I would recommend that's a little bit less accessible for folks, but is still really amazing is I had craniosacral. um, I had a craniosacral session for the first time in my life during my birthday that was gifted to me by a friend. And uh, it was a fully transformative experience where the woman who worked on me, she was, she's a witch from Mexico. She lives in Mizunte. So she's not, I would recommend her, but she's a f- several flights away from us. <laughs> Although she's amazing. Pilar, I love her. She like was, she was bringing the ancestors out of my physical body and being like, okay, now it's time to talk to them. Now you need to let them, you need to tell them that that's not yours. You need to cut the cord. Like she did like the whole cutting the cord. Mm. Um, you know, and we, I have, a, I'm interviewing someone uh, after you, but they're going to premiere before you named Lainey Love. And Lainey does cord cutting ceremonies with people. Amazing. You know, she'll get her lasers out, like her laser swords, and she will like laser sword. I mean, I love it. I love <laughs> her rituals to be like, you have to let that person go. So I, and I, I just want to, I think your question's amazing for folks to hear who do performative practices, because it just helps apply consciousness to the reality that you can't even empaths in general, even if you're not a yeah. performer, yeah. empaths in general need to know about like cl- clearing out the aura, clearing out the insides, cord cutting. When you have a hook, like a psychic hook in you, these are all very important things to know about as an I empath. I know. And I think that there are things that we don't really hear very much growing up and they, they can cause so much unnecessary stress and pain. Um and I know I spent many years not understanding like psychic boundaries, for example, and would have so many moments where I would just like, you know, almost have a full blown panic attack because I was like feeling like 35 people's energies and like didn't really understand that. And so, um, yeah, I think it is so important to talk about these things, especially when, you know, it can happen, as you're saying, while reading a script, right? It could happen while reading a book. It could happen while just, like, being on the bus. Like, there's so many ways that our bodies have gifts that um, if we're not really taught how to work with them, it can bring up so much um, what I see is unnecessary um, pain because it, it, you know, I, I've, you know, I, having worked as a psychotherapist and as a witch, like I've definitely seen so many folks who come in without any of those protective, you know, boundaries or or without knowing that there is something known as psychic hygiene that it really is causing them a lot of distress, and then it gets, you know, labeled as anxiety or as other. Things that, you know, yes, there is maybe an element of that, but also there's so much of our bodies that we um, don't, you know, because we're, all, I guess, like 
to begin with, we're like not even taught to connect with our bodies very much growing up. And then, you know, on top of that, there are ways that we are experiencing things that we could be really beneficial to have someone like guide you through a practice or just even acknowledge something, you know? Yes. And I, you're, you sharing that makes me think of like my ideal version of the educational system in the, in the, in the U S or in the world. But like, Mm -hmm. I've actually, since I was probably in high school, have had these fan, like really nerdy fantasies of like, what if I was able to create my own version of Waldorf? Like, what Mm. would that look like? And, or, or even not even Waldorf, I want it to be accessible for, it's like, what would public school look like if Marvel a Rex helped build it? (laughs) Not that I have to build it myself, but just that if I helped build it. And, And I think exactly to your point that like, in those first seven years of life, I mean, I believe that everyone's an empath. It's like, we always say like, uh, HSP, highly sensitive people. I'm like, that's a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's just that some people shut it down really early. And, and I think you and I, I definitely have never been able to like shut it down. Mm-hmm. Um, or there have been times in my life where like when I had a really severe eating disorder, that was so severe that it did shut down my empathy, but because my body was like in survival mode and that's the only time i've been able to shut it out right i know some of us go to substances to try to shut it out you know and we'll go to extreme lengths just to get i literally that was one of my first experiences i had kind of um, with another witch was i was outside of a bar one day and a witch uh, this amazing queer witch named sarah biscada came up to me and was like i know why you drink so much and i was like why and she was like you're just trying to shut down those voices that you hear all the time and and it was one of those moments where i was like a witch you know saw another witch and yes. yeah and i think you know had i like known about that I would have maybe found other coping mechanisms that were a lot healthier for myself at the time. But, you know, sometimes we also got to do what we can to survive, you know, sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The vision. And I really, I really hope, especially from the astrological perspective, everyone born between 1985 and 1995 has Pluto and Scorpio. That's where Pluto was between that generation. They're called millennials, right? Millennials are Pluto and Scorpio. And what I what I really hope for in terms of like when Pluto, when the millennials are the age of boomers now, I sincerely, and again, this is like hoping that there isn't a climate crisis or full-blown war. I'm really hoping not for that, not calling that in. But when they are the age of boomers, I really hope that the millennials have helped my generation. I'm born in 92, that our generation has helped create Scorpio is about like bringing in the occult and bringing in magic and bringing in sensitivity and depth and psychotherapy and psychology into school systems, into hospitals where there's like, like ritual is so important and community is so important. The fact that the fact that you had to wait until you were like probably in your twenties to have another witch come up to you and be like, I see you. I, I don't want that for young kids. I want young kids to be like, I'm seen at five years old when I'm doing like a ceremony with my other peeps, you know? Yes. yes. I love that. And I love the vision of you being a part of the development of some sort of educational (laughs) program. And I love the vision of young people of all, you know, as you said, like everyone is sensitive, everyone has gifts and abilities and, it would be so incredible for people to be seen in their fullness. And I think that's, you know, it's sad that we're still at a place where we're trying to get pronouns recognized or even a sense of identity recognized. It's like, we really want 
you know, yeah, the, the future generations to really feel seen and to be able to see each other and to also see the earth that we're living in. Because I think that's yes. also been what's caused so much of what we're experiencing now is this really um, erroneous belief that life is not conscious, that animals and plants are not conscious, and that you can do whatever the hell you want to them and to the earth. And and I think that there, that also is going away. And I know so many people are coming to really understand how aware and how alive and how much communication is constantly happening. And I, you know, I'm someone who I constantly have animals come up to me and like say hello. And like people sometimes get really weirded out by it. But like, I think part of it is that like, I see them. I know that they're speaking and I know and I hear them. And, and I've had so many plants like reach out to me and beam messages at me. And I think if you open yourself up to that, there's a whole world of communication out there. And obviously with humans, it happens so much too, but I think it's, I think it's been so sad that like we're still somewhat at a baseline where we're really trying to be acknowledged as people and we're also trying to have life acknowledged as conscious, you know? Yes. Everything being consciousness. And I just going back to the idea of the Pluto return, like part of what the US is grappling with in a profound way from my perspective is colonialism coming in, late capitalism being this like final iteration of colonialism and the way to transform, which is Pluto, Pluto demands transformation. The way to transform is like actually not necessarily neo-primitivism. That's not at all what I'm saying, but it's literally to go and look at indigenous, like deep indigenous culture. And like the fact that like indigenous cultures of the U S or of this land literally saw everything as conscious, everything everything is conscious. You know, the sky has a consciousness, the the rocks have consciousness. And I completely agree with you, just applying that level of care, love, compassion to literally everything is like paradigm shifting. It's paradigm shifting. I know. And it also takes away that feeling of isolation, that feeling that you have to do everything by yourself, that we kind of can come to understand as people that we are in collaborative relationships constantly and that there are many beings that want to support too and so if we like listen to these beings there can be so much that can come forward that that can help us and of course as you're saying like indigenous communities have been saying this for so long and i think that's also why the healing center that i created for my thesis was i wanted it to be run by queer and trans indigenous folks who um really are working with the land. And I think, you know, I feel like I've been almost like, I have been rescued by, from this system by queer and trans people, by indigenous uh, folks. I've been rescued by great visionaries who've guided me to the place where I'm at. And I feel like it's all our responsibility to, you know, once we get to a certain place and we're stable enough and able to, uh, you know, turn back, we can create that same space for others too. And I think that's just been a big um, part of my like life practice is like, how can I show up in a way um, and be something for someone that I really wish I had or that I needed and um, be able to share things and to be that like slippery liminal being that can traverse through all these spaces, you know, whether it's psychotherapeutic, spiritual, creative, 
Um, and to be able to um, kind of bring in these this wisdom that like the colonial regimentation has tried to separate for so long. And I do feel like so many people now are really letting go of those regimentations and it's affecting employment and education. And like, I'm noticing like, just how much um, these systems, you know, having just graduated from a big university, like these systems are trying to catch up and understand who's actually there with them now. And, you know, so many of the students are yearning and seeking these types of experiences that a lot of these universities or, uh, or older institutions just like don't know how to offer. And I think ceremony and ritual are so important just period in general but i think especially with when it comes to growth and transformation and awareness building and uh you know self-discovery like and i think uh you know these universities are so fucking awkward they don't even know like how to like how to like get people to talk to each other, let alone like have a ceremonial sacred experience, you know? And like, again, I just graduated from a university, so I'm not like trying to dismiss it. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, there is a massive transformation that's happening that's going to affect every single country in this country, in the world. And um, I think artists and, and visionaries are at the forefront of trying to imagine other possibilities, other ways of existing, other ways of relating and connecting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My partner always says she defines artists as like being able to see around the corner. Yeah, so it's exactly. I love that. It's exactly to what you're saying. It is. And that's, I, actually, that's actually one of my like kind of witch um, tools is I like to always imagine myself like, being like a younger person and like crawling around the corner and like, and I don't, and it doesn't even matter what I'm seeing. It's more about that emotion of, mm. cause I, 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 with that emotion, there's like an expectant energy where you're like expecting to be surprised or even horrified, you know? And I think yeah. to me, like that energy is so powerful and mm -hmm. it brings in so much magic, but also it is chaos magic that you're kind yes. of inviting into your life a little bit, you know? Yes. And it's funny because I hear you speaking about your experience at UC Berkeley and these institutions trying to catch up. And I just keep thinking about the internet as being this like essentially trans or essentially queer technology. Mm, like yes. it's a queering technology. And I know that you have a very, like, I think it, to me, my perception is that you have a very like grounded and rooted and like consistent relationship to social media, which is obviously like an internet based technology. And I'm curious, like, if you want to share a little bit more about what your relationship is to magic as it meets your social media practice, because I know that from just witnessing you, I can tell that there's intention behind it. Whereas not everyone is applying intention to their social media practice, but I'm so curious about your relationship to it. If there's anything you want to share about it in general. Yeah, I really appreciate that you bring this up because I actually was interviewed by someone who's writing a book on trans technologies and they were talking about my practice and um, the way that I show up across um, different mediums. But I think the internet, it definitely being one of those places and, oh my gosh, there's so much to this. I think one, one um, way I look at this is that, you know, it's created a different sense of community and connection. Um, one 
way that I really feel like my practice has grown is that, you know, I, for a long time was like a sole practitioner and was really isolated and felt like there were no other people like me who were like into art or witchcraft and, or art and witchcraft. And now like through my social media presence and by connecting with people on the internet, like I've really discovered that this is a global movement and that there are certain pockets of places that are like at the vanguard or that are really experimenting and Los Angeles is definitely one of those places I feel and I've even had um, artists and witches from other countries like reach out to me and be like we want to know all about like the LA scene or about like the witches that are in California that are like living their life and like actually like kind of you know inserting themselves into different professional capacities and and I feel like um that's been something that I've been um, downloading and imagining and, and hoping for and also giving myself that permission to like take on that role and be that person and, and to really push through all those feelings of inadequacy and feelings of uh, like, I, I, I don't deserve to be in this presence or in this place. And moving beyond that, like has really allowed me to um, also see other people step into that, give themselves permission. And I have been so inspired by other witches and artists and have been given so much permission by other people too that I feel like we're big like bubble big echo chamber that's really uplifting and supporting each other and also building a web that um, is building resiliency into us and I think that's one thing that you know had I gone to grad school years ago before I had such a powerful web of witches connected to me I would have been so disheartened and 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 felt so confused about my practice but I feel like I went into this program already feeling so emboldened and powerful and like I'm a part of a global movement that you can't really tell me anything about my practice like you can maybe not understand it or make fun of it but like I know that what I'm doing is something that is so powerful and connected to so many people and that I'm not alone and that we're all doing this together and I think that is allowing and creating another narrative to emerge in the midst of also so much fucking pain and chaos and sadness and grief yes. there's something else that's emerging that is magic that we're all holding on to we're all casting our energy towards and i see it in you know in so many people and i think that that to me is like that's something that I'm seeing coming from myself, but I'm also witnessing it as a collective thing that really is holding so many of us when we need it, you know? Yes. It makes me think so much of Starhawk's book, The Fifth Sacred Thing. Totally. Yes. Her vibe, yes. which actually really, I think maybe it was a little bit ripped off from Octavia Butler's book, um, The Parable of the Sower, but maybe not. Maybe they just were in the same zeitgeist. Right. Um, but that that idea of like being in an apocalyptic world that is very challenging on the external level and then having these like heart-based, beautiful witches being like, we actually like are going to create really tangible magic with with love with like a heart based like vigor right yeah. so yeah yes. and 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 there's an amazing astrologer who's actually like way more of a witch i mean she she calls herself an astrologer but i'm like girl uh you're on another level she's or she's on many levels one level is 
that she's a witch but uh her name's barbara goldsmith and i think it's barbara goldsmith i hope i'm correct on that but she talks about similarly to what you said where she's like yes there's a lot of chaos happening in the world right now and also simultaneously there is this there is like a very tangible force of people who are developing more consciousness and more intention in maybe what you could call chaos magic but basically just like having very intentional daily practices and rituals as well as collective rituals which the internet actually creates a space for and that's what yeah. I see with your practice where I'm like, oh, Edgar's connecting to people. Like Edgar's like, yet like I see that the sort of talismanic quality of like a video coming in and that has been used in ways that are really amazing. And then it's also been used by like the far left with meme, with meme magic. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, it iterates in so many ways, but yes, I like the high vibration loving version of it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think it allows us to exist beyond time and space and you can have ritual beyond time and space and you could, you know, be in ceremony with people 10 years from now that live in a complete different country than you. And I think those are things that are allowing us to exist in ways that we have not been able to before and also bringing in that intention that is so powerful to be able to hold intention with this medium, with this slippery trans medium that can be found in so many different ways and accessed in so many different ways. And we also don't know like what we're leaving for our future ancestors and like yeah. how they're going to relate with to this and connect with it. And I think that's also something that for me feels so beautiful about what we're doing is that we're we're speaking to ourselves in this living moment and we're also speaking to someone who has yet to be or is growing up at this moment and is going to discover us and yeah i think all that is what you know really gives me hope too because i'm also a very hopeful person and i'm also someone who really has seen magic transform my life has seen myself go from a person who's yearning for a certain life, a certain kind of life, and to be living that life, to really see that, like, those dreams, those visions, those yearnings I had were real. They were really speaking to something that, you know, I had hundreds of people tell me wasn't possible, but it didn't matter. Like, it didn't matter because I knew in my heart that yearning was real. And I think that is magic to me yes. to be able to feel something and to then see your reality reflect it. That is magic. Yes, I know. And the folks who are like not the magic people who do not use that language, they call it neuro. Uh, what is it? Neuro um, neurolinguistics. Like that's what they're like. They're like, it's neurolinguistics. So they, they go to the brain, which is great. Yes. It's fine. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same. I'm like, it's the same language, baby. Like it's it oh, made yeah. different, different language, same meaning. And so I hear you. It's like, you're reflecting, like I've noticed in the same exact thing. And, and I think one thing about trans and queer and indigenous folks and, and folks who are not of the most quote unquote, like privileged norm core white heterosexual christian people those folks have had to really invent themselves and i think one of the powers of inventing yourself or surviving through creating spaces for yourself is that you also start to realize in the act of creating a space for yourself to exist you start to actually see that magic is possible because you are like literally doing things that you're like why I wasn't even asked. No one said I was going to be able to access this anyway, because I'm X, 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 Y, and Z. 
I'm all these things that people said are not good, but look at me, I'm doing this. And that is, that's like, you start to be like, oh, okay, wait, there's something to this. (laughs) I know. And then you make space for others too. And I think that is like your legacy as well is that you, you, you start to create, you know, the permission for others or the, you know, because I, I, that's something I've like kind of thought a lot myself, especially as an artist who like a lot of my work can be really glitchy or confusing or look kind of shitty. And like, <laughs> I, I love, I like, I'm like, I want to see shitty art in a museum. Me too. I want to see art <laughs> that is non-traditional, that like makes you question the institution or makes you question what is possible because, you know, I think that that is also like medicine that you're giving to future people and to yourself too that like you you deserve to be in a museum with your shitty art fuck yeah yes i'm doing such a funny thing right now edgar i love that you just said that because for the first time in like literally 12 years i am which is also an astrological cycle of course associated with the planet but in the first time for the first time in 12 years i am doing figurative oil painting which is like literally the most colonized like classical medium that you can do like it is the medium with a capital m right, right. and i really poo-pooed figurative right figurative painting especially in oil because for that very reason when i was first learning like critical race theory and when i was first learning like how colonized the museum is and how a white wall gallery is like fundamentally fucked and like right. when i was learning all of these things and now here i am 12 years later and i'm like oh I'm going to like now poke my, poke my, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to poke the thing itself and put yes. in like, not very, they're not, I'm not a trained oil painter, but I'm like, I'm putting, I'm going to put these things in galleries precisely because they're probably not that great. But the amazing part about it is that someone's like, why did he, why did he do this? But then, oh, what? Now I have to question the thing itself. Like, yeah. why is it exist? This person's intelligent. So why is it existing in this space? Right. And so that is right. You start, to, I'm always like, how do I like help? I don't know if I want to break down the museum, but it's like, how do you help people interrogate the museum? Yeah, definitely. And, and bring those questions up as you're saying, like who allowed this person in here? Who, who said this was a good idea? You know, and those are all things that I think are so important that are just assumptions that people maybe have about what is good or bad art. And yeah, that slippery kind of energy is so important to kind of bring in and uh, to guide people towards, because as you're naming, these institutions are, you know, seeped in white supremacist, (laughs) colonialist histories that are often hidden or um, not really discussed that openly. Yes, absolutely. And you said earlier that, you know, a lot of institutions are like striving to keep up and are really failing or, or just like really struggling to struggling to keep up. And I think of even about the movie industry and the theatrical, like the theaters, the movie theaters and thinking about TikTok where you, and even your work where it's like, it is video platform and it could be considered like not high production quality because it's not $10,000, $20,000 cameras that are shooting these videos, but like everything's collapsing. Like every institution that said, oh, I'm the best, I'm the best at making movies. It's like now you have teenagers making viral TikTok videos on their iPhone right like so it's so mm-hmm. it's such an interesting time to be alive yeah yes yeah no it's such an interesting time to be alive and um we're witnessing and we're going to witness 
so much transformation in the next few years. It's, yeah, you know, I, I've talked about this before on other podcasts, but we have just, we're seeing the internet go through its Saturn return, where we are seeing the internet transforming as well. And I think everything is transforming at this moment, like everything, every, and our economy is going to shift. Uh, there's just so much that is mutable. And I think this is such a great time for slippery people <laughs> to come in and to see what's in between, right? To see what is beyond the forced regimentations that we've had to exist with for so long that there are other possibilities out there. And I think that is so exciting and it is so much um, fodder to play with, you know? <laughs> so I feel like as artists, like there is so much inspiration that is in this moment and that will continue to emerge as we continue to witness all these different institutions and um, values even that we've held on to transform and shift. Yes, I know. And it's funny to think that like, as for myself, in terms of my practice, my performance art practice that you saw prior to 2020, I no one could have told me that that would have been like amazing practice for me to navigate post-COVID reality where being an improv artist is like helpful right now right. like learning how to improvise in front of a live audience is medicine for our times because i think we're all improvising right now and i mean we're all improvising like structurally economically all these things are happening because we're in such flux like being an improv artist is helpful to navigate that and and of course the tenement the main tenement of improv is yes and so it's like i will say okay Right. If the economic system is fundamentally crashing or failing or changing, yes. And here's here's what we're doing. Right. right. And here's another idea. Here's cryptocurrency or whatever. Like here is something else. And I think that that is a powerful way to move forward right now is to have that that like you said, that sort of like mutability, that flexibility, that that creativity. Yeah, and I love that we're in Gemini season right now. And I think that is such a Gemini like trait and gift. And, and I think that that's something that a lot of folks ask me is like, how am I someone who's able to traverse and, and move through different um, disciplines and mediums? And yeah, and I think, um, I think part of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, seeing failure and seeing um, capacity and success as mutable things too. And yes. that um, there are sometimes like paths we need to go down to, to reach something and that something doesn't have to look like maybe what you've been taught or trained successes, but that there is something that's wanting to happen there. And you sometimes need to fail or to quote unquote, not be good at something. And that those are, those are blessings that that is medicine that that allows other things to happen. And I think that there's also something to be said, um, to the blending and the dissolution of these regimentations like between let's say like art and therapy and spirituality and activism like there's something that's wanting to emerge from the letting go of these as separate activities you know and <laughs> and i think that that's also something that we're all like kind of sitting with too is that like 
yeah, what happens then, you know, when you allow something to be more than what it is or more than what you've thought it was before, you've been told it was, there's something else that wants to emerge. And so that's, I think, also why emergence is such a powerful word and is going to continue to be because so much is going to come from these spaces that, you know, I think whenever nature creates a void, there's always something that kind of comes towards that void that gets attracted to that void that emerges from that void. And so look for the voids and look for what emerges in the voids is what I would tell all the folks out there listening. (laughs) I was literally just about to ask you what you're like, if you had a statement for people and you (laughs) you fully like a good witch, you were like, I hear you Marvel and I'm fully delivering. I'm delivering in the best way. Got right on the pulpit and I was like, go, go, go. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. Yes. Oh my gosh, Edgar. Thank you. Is there any final thing that you feel like you want to share, ask, say? Is there anything that you're excited to share with the audience right now? Or are you just sort of reveling from your post-birthday, post-graduation congratulation celebration (laughs) um you know I would just say just be on the lookout because I have some exciting things that I'm working on as an artist I think one of our most challenging things is that we many times have to sit on projects for months and months and months and months so there are some exciting things that I cannot talk about right now that are coming and also I think one thing I'm really excited about is now that I'm out of grad school I'm going to be able to dedicate a bit more time to my internet presence, including my YouTube channel. And so I really want to um, recommend folks to sign up for my YouTube channel and to also follow me on all the socials uh, because there are some exciting things that I'm working on that I cannot wait to share with all of you. And I'm also just really looking forward to seeing um, how things shift and grow in the next few years and would love to hear any um, downloads that come from folks from you know listening to this podcast because I do feel like I constantly receive messages from people sometimes even years later that are like oh my gosh this thing that you said opened up this part of my life that I wasn't aware of and and so I want to just you know just, you know, reach out that hand, that invitation, please reach out to me, send me an email if something comes to you, because I always love to hear and I always love to connect with folks in that way too. Yes. I will link all of your socials, YouTube channel and and in in the, and your, do you have your email on your website? Is that the easiest way to get? Okay, great. So I will, I will set that all up for everybody. And can you give your Instagram handle now just so that people have it like in the moment? Yeah, it's at Edgar Fabian Frias on Instagram. Yeah, and also just be aware there are a lot of scammers out there pretending to be me. I've been impersonated like more than 15 times now. So just know that you might see some Edgars that will want to follow you that are not me. Okay, yes. (laughs) I'll link link the OG, the true, the pure form. Yes, yes. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Edgar. Thank you for being on The World of Rex. This has been an amazing conversation. I would love to have more conversations with you on this podcast. Definitely. Please bring me back on. I would love, love to connect with you anytime, Marvel. It's always a gift. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will catch you next week on The World of Rex. Until then, take care. Bye.